We've all heard the saying, the old saying, behind every great man, there is a great woman. That's right. So we are privileged and honoured this morning to have a great woman in the house this morning. Um, And it is my honour to introduce Pastor Joy. Not only is she the founding, not only is she a founding uh, pastor, she's a loving mother, a praying woman. So without further ado, let me introduce to you, Pastor Joy. You guys are making me cry. Yeah, it's a great privilege to have to share today. If I don't cry, and um, I really want to share something that I'm very passionate about. That's kingdom. Family values. We're in a kingdom. We're not in a democracy. We're in a kingdom. And I believe so many kingdom family values or kingdom values have been totally um, wiped out and the enemies come in like a flood upon our nation. And people don't even know what God says about family. And so I want to share some of the things today um, which are really uh, precious to me and things that we're still growing in and practicing and learning new ideas to help establish strong families. Because I know God has got a tremendous call on this church, and especially on the young people in this church. And we need to realign our lives. You know, revival is not an event. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And sometimes we need to reestablish our lifestyle according to kingdom values. I'm so blessed that I was raised by people that paid a price, and I'm a recipient of a legacy. My dear dad was like some of you guys at high school. And at high school, he met other Christians. He was in a very closed religious sect. But when he met other Christians, he thought, wow, I need to become part of this because they're alive and they do stuff, and I want to become part of it. So he became born again and became part of a of a group of Christians at high school. It was a crusader movement at high school then. And he was mentored by men of God. And then he established a Christian home. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful that some of our young men are going to come to church. And even if they haven't got role models at home, they're going to come to church and be modeled by the fathers in the house, the mothers in the house. And they're going to raise strong families. My dad wasn't allowed to eat with his family anymore once he became a Christian. He was kicked out, well, not kicked out of home. He was allowed to live in the back of the garage, but he wasn't allowed to eat with his family. He had to pay a price. And he took us so far out of the bondage of the system he was in into tremendous evangelical liberty. Unfortunately, he could never get his head around the Holy Ghost. <laughs> but even without the Holy Spirit, he established principles that we're now blessed by and recipients by. Then I had a dear grandma who's like some of you people. She was left where the husband went off with another, man, another woman. She was left a single mum with three children. But she went to a meeting like you've just been to. She went to Smith Wrigglesworth meetings in Wellington. Wow. And she was a single parent with three children, but she got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> wow. And did she change things? She was a complete different person from my dad. She loved people, everybody. She loved people. I loved her. She was full of life, full of praying. We knew she prayed for us. She prayed for us every day. She got her tray. She'd go into her bedroom, and for about three hours, she'd just be with Jesus. And we knew she prayed. I remember my sister once got polio, and she prayed and got a miracle. 
And everybody came to her house and they got joy and they got saved. And even though she was a single parent, my mum brought her kids home from friends home from school and they got saved. Like Judy Ann here. You know, just a home full of the presence and love of God and children coming in and getting saved. This big ring I've got, you know where I got that from? A girl came into mum's, my nana's home, mum and mum's girlfriends from school, got born again. And when she died, she left this ring to my mother because my mother led her to the Lord as a high school girl. You know, these are legacies. And it doesn't matter where you've come from, God is going to raise up people that can shift their families. And, um, and I just want to share some principles on that today. In Acts 26, verse 18, Paul said, he said, I was set, this is my mission, to open the eyes of the blind. And I believe today some people, our eyes have actually been blinded by the secular humanism and the teaching of the world. We're blinded to the truths of God. And sometimes the gospel and the truths have not been um, clearly laid out. But that's why I want to use the Word of God today, because we need to see and have our eyes opened. And we've got to turn from darkness. A lot of us are still in darkness in some areas of our life. And we've been born again. Our spirits are alive to God. But other parts of our life are still in darkness. And we want to turn from darkness into, into light. Because in the darkness, it says in uh, Acts 26, some of these verses can probably be put up, like Acts 26, 18, the power of Satan to God. In the darkness, the satanic, demonic influences. That's why it's dark. Because no good thing comes from him. It holds us in bondage, holds us in darkness, holds us in, in a place of confinement. And as we get some of the truths of God around us, we can come out of darkness into light. And... Receive forgiveness. Some of us have to just repent. We've got to repent from the stuff that we've been in and change. And when we get rid of forgiveness of sins, and then we can find a place amongst those that are set apart for God. That's my heart, that we're going to have our eyes opened in some areas of family life particularly, and then come into a place of repentance, and we're going to build strong families here. We're going to stand out in the city. Because it's been an all-out attack on families. And yet the family is the cornerstone of society. The traditional family is actually the cornerstone of society. No wonder it's been so attacked. If the enemy can wipe out families, he can make a terrible damage on society because everything flows out of what we are like at home. The enemy's stolen from us. It's time we came to take, take back what belongs to us. Amen. So, and, and I remember Mike preached a few weeks ago about um, Elijah rebuilding a, an altar. And, and his, his nation had been overcome by wickedness. And yet Elijah stood up and he rebuilt an altar to the Lord. Remember that message? It's again for us. We're going to have some Elijahs here. We're going to rebuild what has been lost. Even if we're surrounded by a nation of humanism, we're going to rebuild some altars and restore to life. Restore things to life. Jeremiah um, 29, I won't read it, but he said, I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I've planted you. He doesn't want Christians to live in a little ivory tower, thinking one day I'm going to be snapped off to heaven, but in the meantime, me and my family are going to have a happy life. That is not kingdom. He said, you've got to seek the welfare of the place I've planted you. That's why we're opening House of Hope. That's why we're going to infiltrate this whole society. Apostolic churches are not traditional family um, pastoral type churches. We've got to shift. 
We're going to become a church that invades society with the power of God. Because we've got the power of God. We're all like little Jesus running around. We've got the same spirit that was in Him. And wherever we go, we can pray for people. We can shift society. The church has to shift. We're penetrating society. Amen, amen, amen. Even those ones that you mentioned, um, Horoadi, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Christian young people placed in a totally um, Babylon society, totally wicked society, stood out, shifted, had favour on their lives. Some of our young people are going to be like that, surrounded by non-Christians, humanism, but you're going to shine out and have favour on your lives. You're going to rise up and be really something for God. That's our belief. That's my belief. That's why I believe God is on. Uh, David, he went to Ziglag. It was totally wiped out and destroyed. Pursue, recover, was what the Lord said to him. Don't sit back and take this. We're not going to have our families destroyed. We're not going to have our our schools invaded. We're going to stand up and shine like lights. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're empowered. That's why we carry the Holy Ghost. So, and it takes engaging and connecting with God. He's already purchased it at the cross. Remember that message that um, we had at the conference? It's already been paid for. It's already been done. We've got to apply it. We've got to put it into practice. We've got to possess it. And that's our job. The job of the church is to possess what's already been paid for. Possess what Jesus has purchased. The cross, it's all at the cross. At the cross, our sin, he took our sin and he's given us his righteousness. None of us started off perfect. I was a mess. I had sinned. But he's taken my sin and given me righteousness. All of us that put our trust in Jesus have had that great exchange. He's taken it all, and He's given us His righteousness. He's taken our curses. He's given us His blessings, but we've got to possess it. We've got to do some things. We've got to possess it to walk in it. You know, there's several mountains in society. They're often called the mountains of our culture. One of them is like a religious mountain, churches, the influence of churches. We need to possess this mountain, and again, it should affect society should make a difference in our community. Family is another big pillar. It's another that's been sorely eroded. And it's something today I want to talk about how we can take back. But there are several main pillars. There's also education. They do all the equipping. There's the uh, government. Right now we're very interested in the government. It's a whole pillar of society. It's a whole lot of forces operating in the government. But this is another pillar of society that some people here, Lord, might raise up to begin to particularly have an influence in. God is going to put his people into every pillar of society, every mountain in society. It's not, you're not all going to end up working in a church. You're not designed to work in a church, all of you. You've got giftings and passions and callings on your life. And when God's kingdom is going to be established on the earth, Every pillar of society is needed to have men and women of God in there that are there to invade that place, to establish the kingdom of God on that place and make a difference. So um, there's a government, there's business. Business people raised up to make a difference. My My father was raised up as a businessman, a Christian businessman. 
You know what he did as a Christian businessman? Just one Christian businessman who didn't even have the Holy Ghost. He established Bible and schools in Levin. He established Boys Rally in Levin. He was always been chairman of the Board of Governors and chairman of the school committee that I went to because he wanted to make a voice in that place. And businessmen are often ones that can be a voice in the schools. So I could never get away with anything at school because he was there. Even as on the Board of Governors, he'd have morning tea with the staff every Friday and talk to them. He, um, he established El Rancho Christian Campsite. One of his clients, or the, you know, the land was cut. He established things and created finance for missionaries. Business people. God is going to raise up business people with equipment and wiring to release finance and to make a difference in society. So I don't know what the calling is, but God's put a calling on each one of you. Uh, media. We desperately need Christians in the media. They're like the watchmen that tell us what's happening out there. But you know how perverted a lot of that is. And then, of course, in the arts. The arts in, uh, in, in there, they're like the people that are giving us prophetic messages all the time. The arts and the entertainment industry need men and women of God. They need to give a different message to our young people than what they're getting. So every part of society, we're called as men and women of God to invade and possess and to make a difference. Okay, so this is what kingdom looks like. Kingdom possession. And, um, we, but we're going to start with our homes, Bay City, homes. Okay, what does a reformed home look like? I'm going to give you some scriptures and we're going to look at some scriptures so that you know what the Bible says about family and homes, okay? And most of it you'll find, wow, that's not what I hear in society. I hear a different message than that. And, you, and we're all bombarded all the time by different messages. But first of all, what does the God say about male and female? Genesis 1, 27 and 28. This is one of the biggest ones that gets attacked all the time. Genesis 1, 27. Um, first of all, in verse 26, there's a council in heaven. You know, there's, there's, there's a, a, a courtroom in heaven. And there's a sitting down in the courtroom of heaven and they make decisions. So one day there's a courtroom in heaven and they sat down and they said, let's make man. The Trinity, they said, let's make man and we're going to make it in the image of God. We're going to make a creature that's just like us. Isn't that amazing? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So there was a decision made to, to create man in a God-like DNA. All with the capacity to relate to God and have a spirit have a spirit that can be a, and carry a God-like dimension. God's idea, wonderful idea. And then he says in verse 27, And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he made mankind. He created male and female, created he them. It was God's idea to have a male and a female. And he created them. He created, at the beginning, it's like a, he created mankind to have male and female characteristics, okay? And then it's interesting in the next chapter, chapter 2, in verse 18, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground, he formed every beast of the field and every fowl, and he brought them to Adam, see he's going to name them. So Adam named all the animals, and uh, whatever Adam called the living creature, that was the name. And he gave names to the cattle, to the fowls, every beast, and for Adam, there's not found a helpmeet for him. So 
the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he created a woman and brought her to man. And man said, wow, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, you'll call a woman. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, they become one flesh, naked and not ashamed. That is just the most amazing picture. That first of all, in mankind, there's male and female characteristics. And there came a day when out of the side of man, he formed, created and built a woman. And, um, and that's such a picture of Christ in the church. Remember Jesus on the cross, out of his side flowed blood and water. And he said the church was born from the side of Jesus. That's a picture of it here. Out of the side of Adam, woman was born. And just like Christ and the church are one, same DNA, we're his children. He calls us his children. We've got the right to come to him as father. We're, we're part of him. It's the same with out of woman came man. I wonder what man felt like when part of him was missing. Do you think he lost some of his intuition? Do you think he became more aggressive? I think he must have changed after part of him was taken away <laughs> because he put that in woman. <laughs> so he created woman from the side of man. It's quite a distinct, totally different thing. Now, one is both a part of God's nature. Both are unique, different, gender-based role distinction. We're not the same as men. Now, because enemies distorted all this. First of all, he says, okay, men are going to dominate women. And so you have a whole lot of domination and abuse of women, and they think that's proper. That is not God. You know what God says? Men, lay down your lives for your wife. That doesn't look like domination. Lay down your lives for them. And what's more, they get some judgment. If you don't treat your woman right, I'm not going to answer your prayers. I love that one. They've got to do it right, otherwise they lose their, their authority. But the women are totally different. We're not feminists of trying to make, we're all the same, we're all equal. We can all do everything men do. We're not the same. We're totally, uniquely different. And God made us different. So that's, I think that's, we've got to get, get our head around that. Because the world is giving us other messages. And of course they start off by separating us from God. The best picture of a marriage is like the Trinity. You know, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all flowing together, totally different in their distinctives and what they do, how they function. But the Father is over the Son, and He was obedient to the Father. The Holy Spirit empowered everything, and that's how the Trinity looks. It's like that in a Christian marriage. It says a threefold cord is not easily broken. Father, I mean, the Holy is God, husband and wife, all flowing together with totally different functions. It's something we've got to get our head around. We're not feminists. We're not exactly the same as men trying to compete and be the same. We're not dominated. We're unique, created unique, carry unique facets of God's nature. Part of God's nature is carried in woman, part of it in men, but together they make a beautiful picture of what God's like. Amen. That's how God says it's going to be. And separately, this is the part that the society hates, in the kingdom, there's actually authority. There's actually chain of command. 
Some of you saw that at the conference. There's actually a chain of command, and you find your place in the chain of command because this is kingdom. So he said, in, um, in the way God's created, there's actually a chain of command, and it's quite clearly set out in 1 Corinthians 11.3. We're just going to see what God says. I'm not going to try and defend any of it. This is how God designed it. 1 Corinthians Eleven three, A lot of these verses people like to wipe out of the Bible. But I have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. So the men have got to submit to Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So we've all got a chain of command. That's how he created it. Now, I saw this really strongly once. The authority that a husband has, or, or the chain of command, we were doing deliverance once and a person in our church, the wife had got involved in a, in a cult before she even met her husband and actually had a child in that occult they were going to use for sacrifices. And then all this came uncovered and we were getting this woman delivered. And um, Mike said, this is how I want it to happen. He said to the husband, I'm going to come and get you at a certain time and this is what I want you to say. I want you to put your hand on your wife and say what I tell you to say. Well, the woman was lying there with her back to the door. And the minute the door opened and her husband came in, she said, what, what, what's he doing here? She knew that somebody had come in that actually had clout. And Mike said, I want you to say, as your lawful wedded husband, I take authority of this unlawful union and all the spirits that are coming through it. You must go. He stood in his positioning of authority. The spirit inside her knew it. And when he declared his position, I'm your lawful wedded husband, any other spirit that's coming unlawfully must go because of my words. The spirit world understands authority. And we need to respect authority for the spirit world because they respect it. And, uh, and that's, I think, one of the main reasons. And there's two quite simple commands to, to have a Christian home. One is the husbands have to love their wives like their own body. And the wives just have to respect and honour the authority of their husband. It's quite simple, really. And if you can suck it up, things will go well for you. <laughs> but it's different from what the world teaches you. Okay. Second thing, mandate. What was the mandate given to the first couple? Now, you just enjoy one another and get wrapped up in yourselves and have a lovely life. And that's what I've designed it all for. Do you know what the mandate to the first couple was? Let's have a look at it. Genesis 1.28. They were given a mandate. They're given a job. I love it. It's still the same today. Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them. Tell wives, tell your husband, I'm just as blessed as you. I'm blessed. You're blessed. God blessed them, male and female, both blessed. Then he gave them a mandate. He said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. This is a conquering sort of language, isn't it? You're not designed just to wrap yourselves up in your own little world and be happy ever after. You've been given a mandate to conquer, to subdue, to replenish. And this is still the same today. As couples in this church, we're called to infiltrate the world around us as a couple. You know why it's good as a couple? Because one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. Hey! Much more powerful as a team. That's in Deuteronomy 32.30. Flowing together as a team, 
we have tremendous power to infiltrate and make a difference in society. That's what we're called to do. We have a mandate. Okay, three. The marriage covenant. This is a tricky one. Marriage covenant. There's no casual relationships with God. There's no casual relationships. God had made a blood covenant with his church. We are purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are very expensive real estate. Every one of you. You've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. Covenant relationships are always accompanied with bloodshed. And actually, I don't want to get too technical here, but God has designed marriage to have a bloodshed as part of the covenant. And in Leviticus, they had to come and show the tokens of virginity, which was blood on the sheets. Due to a little part of your body called a hymen. Anyway, it's a blood covenant. It's a blood covenant. God's design. Covenant. Covenant talk here. And he says, the marriage, Hebrews 11, 13, 4, the marriage should be held in honour. That's why we celebrate wedding anniversaries. We're celebrating the day the covenant was made. And some of us, uh-oh, I've got saved and I didn't start off this way. My life needs a bit of realigning. Well, it's time to realign. We've got a wonderful couple in our church about to realign at the end of the month. Wonderful. They've come to Freedom Retreat. They've received the abundance of grace from God, gift of righteousness, and now they're going to come and make a marriage covenant. God loves this. He celebrates this. Tell your family what God has done for you. We don't always start off right. But if you've come together any other way and you've got children, maybe it's time now to reestablish your life with a marriage covenant. Because this is God's desire. He says, marriage covenant is, um, we shouldn't hold it, we should hold it in honour, because in God's eyes it is something of honour. Now I'm going to read a passage which is often read. A lot of people hate it, but it's actually straight from Ephesians 5. I'm just going to read out a little bit of marriage instruction here, because it's got a lot of stuff in, in one little passage. Ephesians 5, verses 21. He says, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that it should be holy and without blemish. So men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause a man should leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. A great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. So one passage is a lot of good uh, principles of how God sees marriage. And if we want to get our lives lined up, these are some of the things we need to take on board and understand. And, um, and sometimes it's just time to restore the sanctity of marriage if it's something in your life that's, you've just come into because you've just come into God. 
We want to get things in order, get it in place, just make it a covenant, because God sees that covenant, and it's important to him. Now, the part I love best is the parents and children bit. Parents and children, Genesis 2.15. What was the mandate given there? Genesis 2.15. And the Lord took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden, and he gave him two clear commandments. I want you to cultivate it, dress it, look after it, and I want you to protect it. So here's the first two instructions for parents looking at the Garden of Eden being your own family. First thing in the Garden of Eden, you've been given instructions by God to cultivate. Cultivate and protect. It's been given as a mandate right there in Genesis. Um, I like Malachi too. In Malachi 2 verse 14, he said, God witnesses the covenant that's been made when a husband and wife come together. God sees that. He's, it's before God. You've done it. He witnesses the covenant. But there's one thing he longs for. You know what God desires? Godly offspring. God desires your godly offspring. He's looking for them. Godly offspring. Because he has created us to bring forth a godly offspring. And these are going to be tremendous um, weapons of war. Uh, and he also says in, in Malachi 4, at this age, at the end of the age, right now we're in, he's turning the hearts of fathers to children and children to the fathers. Because the time we're in, there's got to be a turn so that we don't come under the curses that are in society. So right now he's turning fathers to children, children back to fathers, and he's bringing blessing where there's been cursing. Because God is looking for the godly offspring. And God is wanting us to know what kingdom, a redeemed, reformed kingdom household looks like. Okay? Um, Psalm 139 in verse 16 is interesting. You know, the most amazing thing about children is that they're known by God before they even put in your womb. Psalm 139 verse 16 He said, um, your eyes saw my substance, being yet unperfect, and in the book all my members were written. You know, there's books, I reckon, you know, as the council in heaven got together and they decided to make man, they still make together and they've still designed you and written a book about you before you even put it in your mother's womb. Isn't that incredible? There was a book written and, there's a, um, and an unfolding of that book is what God expects to happen as you live your life because it's already written in a book what he's got designed for you before he even puts you in your mother's womb. This is how God sees children, created by him, known by him, even before you were put in your mother's womb. It's no surprise to him what your, your environment was like that you came forth in. You are still a unique creation of God and placed there by God and he's still got a book written about you that will be unfolded as your life lives. Even he said to Jeremiah, before I knew, uh, before I was, you were in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's an amazing thing. Our children were known by God, created by God, and then put in the womb. Wow. And this is how he wants us to see them. We prayed for some last Sunday. They're an entrustment. They've been given to us 
to raise, to protect, to culture, to bring forth. And so he needed to have some clues about how to do this. Um, he said, Psalm 127, 1, if, if unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. The Lord has to help us build our homes. The homes have to be based on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Even if it's the home started off a mess, you know, you can relay foundation stones. And a foundation of repentance is strong. A foundation of forgiveness is strong. It's a strong foundation. Jesus Christ is a strong foundation. You can build a home on that. We all need to come and put him at the centre of the home and build a home on the Lord. Because unless the Lord builds the house, all our work won't come to anything. So unless the Lord builds the house, we're labouring in vain. But then he said, children are a heritage from God. That word heritage has got the same word Ben or a son of the house. One to help build the house, the family house. Children are there to help build the family. They're a heritage. They're a builder of the, of the house and a builder of this house. The children here, young people here, are part of the building of this house. They're God's heritage. And uh, we need to treasure them because God does. He says, and the fruit of the womb is a, a reward. It's a love gift from God. It's a reward given to us to bring forth as godly seed which he's desiring. I'm so excited about the godly seed. And I've heard prophetic word that God has got a tremendous destiny for the young people, particularly in our church. We need to build strong homes to support that. And we need as a church to cultivate that, foster that, make it come forth, help it come forth. So, um, and I I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 59, verse 24. You know, the same spirit that's in you and the same words that are in your mouth will be in your children and your grandchildren. They catch the words you speak. Have you heard your kids echoing you? I have. Good ones and bad ones. (laughs) And the spirit you carry is caught. They know whether you're passionate about the house of God or whether you're having the pastor for lunch. You know, they catch it. They catch your spirit. Rebellious or running down one another, calling each other names. Eliminate it from your home. No name calling. These are precious seeds you're cultivating. We won't have anybody use those language in our house. We won't have any name calling in our house. We won't have any running down of pastors in this house. I even had my father say to me, we won't have any running down of husbands in my house. (laughs) He established authority and we weren't allowed to have little negative sessions about things in the house. We've got to cultivate the environment in the home because the words you speak, your grandchildren will end up speaking. My dear grandmother, I've still got her, her spirit in me. She loved everybody. She's a, oh, I, she used to live on the hill in Nan Street and used to go right up a steep hill to, to get to her house. There was a lady that lived further up the hill and halfway up the hill she got tired. So she'd come into my Nana's place and she'd spread newspaper on the bed and she'd lie there like a corpse. I went into that bedroom once, I nearly freaked out. I said, Nana, who's that woman in there? Oh, that's Mrs. So-and-so. She gets tired going up the hill. She has to have a little rest. It's okay. <laughs> this is all the people she gathered up. You know, people she just loved on that needed support and loving. But, um, you know, you catch the same love for funny people. <laughs> for everybody, everybody that needs support and loving. You just model what they're like because you've seen it in them. And you see how precious it is. So um, 
So how can we watch the environment in our home and protect it? Hedge it about. Actually, we've got to be quite practical about this. I remember I was with Mike last year, and there's some very famous film stars that came for ministry, and they just had an abortion. And um, Mike said to the man, do you know what the first mandate God gave you to protect? He said, do you realise you've just allowed your firstborn son to be murdered? He broke down, he wept. He'd never seen the truth presented like that. God given him a mandate to protect, and he stood by and allowed abortion to happen. You know, to protect. How do you protect your children? One thing I, need, I think you need to watch is sleepovers. Never let your children have a sleepover in a house, unless you know that family. Unless you know that who's going to be in that house. Well, uncle might come and visit, or what big brother might come and visit. You've got to protect these kids. Another thing is illegal activities. Our kids knew if they crossed our law, or even the law of the land, they'd be in trouble. Because the spirit world has access whenever the law's broken. We said to one of our kids once, we discovered she was getting a ride to school with a young man who didn't have a full license. We said, you're not allowed to get in his car again until he gets a full license. Well, we're not hot at and she broke the law. And the whole car got engulfed in flames and she just got out with a lick, <laughs> without any serious wounds, but she knew she'd broken the law that had been laid down. So any illegal activity, you can't allow it to happen because the enemy comes in on that. They're legalists. And if there's a, a foothold or a, a legal thing, illegal thing happening, they will come in and um, take an inroad. Even it says in Ezekiel, he's talking about uh, the enemy that came in and said, where have you been? He says, and the enemy was actually, he said he, he, in, in Ezekiel 28, 13, the enemy had been in Eden, in the garden of the Lord. You know, the enemy will try his best to get into your home. And this we really are careful on protecting it and cultivating it. So the protection is an important part that you um, guard things that are legal, make it safe, and then to cultivate to fruitfulness. That's what you, it means to cultivate. It means to develop these young ones you've been given till they come to a place of fruitfulness. Now, that's not going to just happen if you don't do anything to invest in them. You need to invest in the children coming to the place of fruitfulness. Um, family relationships, experiences together. Get to know them. Um, and there's lots of things that we were never taught as kids that we know now. How to give and receive comfort. How to own your feelings and needs and express them. I mean, I never really learned that growing up. I was quite emotionally illiterate, I think. But some of these things we've learned now, we need to teach our children. How to identify your emotions. How to express them. How to say what your needs are. How to ask for help. There are a lot of things we can need to cultivate in our children so they become um, mature and able to handle life. Um, so it's there an entrustment. And, um, okay, the next thing, the Bible tells us to teach the Word of God. Don't leave it to the kids out the back to be taught every once a month or once a week on Sunday. You, you read what the Bible tells um, parents to do. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. It says quite clearly, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart, and you will teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you're sitting in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. 
Speak the Word of God over your kids as you do life together. You know what? I woke up every day when I was growing up with a cup of tea and my Bible held, handed to me and the Scripture Union notes. Isn't that amazing? David, get up, make the porridge, bring everybody in the house a cup of tea, give us our Bibles and our Scripture Union notes and leave us to have our quiet time. Wow, that's a legacy. <laughs> well, he went to the office and had his quiet time and then called us for breakfast where we had another verse read to us as we left for school. And at tea time, all the Bibles were passed around the table and we all had to read a verse as we went systematically worked through the Bible. Establish an altar in your home, some sort of family altar. God wants you to diligently, systematically, intentionally teach the word of God to your children. It's a command. It should be, as you do life together, talk about the things of the Lord. It's quite deliberate. Um, what sort of Bible has your kids got? Invest in them a Bible they're proud of. And maybe some notes that are appropriate to their age to start to get excited about reading. And if there's a youth camp, don't get mingy with your money. I got saved at a camp. I went to a crusader camp. I was about 13. And that's when I really felt the call to follow the Lord and, and uh, responded. These are great environments where your children might just really make that big decision. Where an atmosphere is built and they're with other kids. Invest in them going to youth camps or special events and mission trips or things. Invest in their life with God, that you're cultivating it. It's not just going to happen unless you cultivate it. Teach them to honour authority. Teach them. It says in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, quite clear instructions. Honour your father and mother and children obey. You've got to teach them to obey. It doesn't come naturally. And they've got to teach them to honour. Because if, it doesn't, if they don't learn to honour their parents, all other authority figures in their life they'll have trouble with. They won't honour their teachers, they won't honour their headmasters, they won't honour their bosses. All of their life will be affected by not learning respect and honour in the home. You must teach them to honour. You must teach them God's principles. And um, actually, Danny Silk has got great books on parenting children. I love it, the fact that he teaches them how to be responsible and to have consequences like, Mom, I left my lunch at home. Can you bring it down? Well, if it's your responsibility to pick up your lunch and take it, maybe I'm not available today, but it's your problem. What are your options? What are your options? It's not going to become my problem. Can you bring it down? Well, I would like to. I feel sorry for you, but right now I'm not available. You know, this is consequences. This is how they learn. You can't keep rescuing them. Otherwise, you grow up with a whole lot of kids that are so entitled, mum and dad have to pick up and do everything for me. I'm entitled to it. We've got to train them to be responsible, to be responsible for the things that they're responsible for and consequences if they don't do it. There's another great book I've, I've been reading. It's um, if you've got young adults. It's called Yaddles. It's called, is it, um, uh, they, they call them Yaddles. Um, Oh, where is the name of it? Oh, I'll find it in a minute. But it's, um, I'll give it to you before I go. I'm getting a bit carried away here. It's okay. Um, um, yeah, Parenting Yaddles, it's called. Parenting Yaddles, Y-A-D-U-L-T-S, by Yvonne Godfrey. What is a Yaddle that's mature and responsible and ready to leave home Look like. Get, cook a meal. 
Can they do their own washing? Can they handle their money? All the things you can train them in so that your adults are responsible adults when they leave home. Quite systematic things they need to learn. Okay, another interesting verse is train a child in the way he is bent. Now, we often take a training the child away that he should be, and he'll always be like that. But it actually means every child has already got wired in them a bent towards their destiny. God put it in them. See what they're interested in. See what they draw to. See what they, they're good at. And then whenever you discover what they're good at, train them in that way, and they'll move into it. We can train a child in the way they're bent. And I think it's part of our responsibility as parents to discover the gifting and the bent in your child. One of our daughters, she's only about six or seven. She's a music teacher now, but I could see it when she was six or seven. Whenever I came home and she had the whole family lined up, all with a song or an instrument, or she was already leading a bunch of kids when she was six, seven or eight. In fact, Elizabeth's daughter and our daughter were running the children's church at both 11. But they already had a teaching bent in them. They love just imparting to kids. But you'll find the way the kids are bent, and you've got to help foster that. They're not all going to be church workers. Some of them are called to be businessmen. Some of them are called to be scientists. You've got to discover their bent and foster it. Now, one good way we found we did this, which you might, I think it would be a great habit to get going in the church. We had a 15-year-old grandson come and have a birthday at our place last year, and he wanted to be baptised. So after Easter dinner, we baptised him, and then we had a bar mitzvah. That's a wonderful event when you get a kid about 13, 14, and the whole room full of adults, and we called forth prophetically what we saw in him. Called forth his destiny, prophetic words, laid hands on him, and said, this is what we see in you. This is what we see you're bent towards. This is what we see God could do with your life. Isn't that a great habit to set up when a kid's 13, 14, 15? Have a ceremony where adults can call forth their destiny, pray over them, lay hands on them, and speak what you see into them. So I'd like to see that as a habit um, established in some of our homes. We found it was very powerful. And then some of them, if they're called like into business, just like we lay hands on pastors and call them into the church, I believe we should commission and prophetically impart to people that may be called into the media or called into the entertainment industry. It's just as much a divine calling as in the church. But let's commission them, prophetically impart them. And you're not just there to get a good income. You're there to invade the kingdom, extend the kingdom, change the culture. Show forth what kingdom values are like. We're all called to invade, to make a difference. That's why I love the thing about children. He said, yeah, they're like arrows. Weapons of war. Your children are like arrows going to penetrate every part of society. Arrows going forth, making a difference. We should be fostering that. Okay. I'm running out of time. I've got so much I'd love to say. However, <laughs> teenagers... I'm going to talk to the teenagers in a minute. This is something you won't hear in, at school. It's something you won't hear on the media. But this is what God says. Because there's a different culture to the world. God's culture is totally different. And there's a huge call on most of your lives, all of your lives. You've got a call. God's going to raise up our teenagers. There's going to be a revival amongst teenagers. But they've got to know God's way of living. I'll give you one verse today. And your kids at school will probably never heard it. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee fornication. <laughs> they won't even hear the word fornication. 
They don't use those words anymore. But God does. Fornication is sex outside of marriage. Flee it. Get to your scrapers. Get out of it. Don't hang around where it's happening because you've got a call on your life. Amen. Okay. In fact, some people have done a very powerful thing as their children become teenagers. Some people have given them a, a ring, a chastity ring. Help them make a vow. I'm going to keep myself till I give this ring to my husband. Take a girl out. Give her a ring. Say, now I'm going to entrust this whole area of sexuality to you. It's for you to look after, nurture, look after, protect. And one day you can give it as a gift to your husband. That's a good thing to do. I did it with all my girls. It was great when they turned 13 or got their first period. Give them a challenge. Even, husbands, even fathers can do it. Do things that help them make a di- distinct sound. You know, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was normal for kids to hang out together. Until I went to City Harvest Church in our early days. Most of the young people working in the church had taken a vow of chastity that they wouldn't entertain any relationships for five years or a certain number of years. Most of them were on a vow. That church grew to 33,000. Because these young people were dedicated for a certain number of years, not even to entertain relationships, until they built the church. I thought, wow, I never heard that before. But it doesn't hurt to set yourself a season. Okay, how do you know when you're ready? Okay, guys, how do you know when you're ready to get married? Well, one is if you're going to lead your wife, you better be able to hear God. If you don't hear God and can't lead, you're not ready. <laughs> Secondly, um, you should know what your destiny and assignment is. We said it needs to be cultivated and fostered, decide what it is God's called you for. And be on the way, bringing that forth. Usually it involves some training. You have a season of time through high school and young adults to be trained and equipped for life. Time of many friends, not pairing off, lots of friends, but developing your calling, discovering your calling, cultivating your calling. And parents can help you with that. But that's your season, okay? So when you know what God's called you to do and you can hear God and you've got enough income that if you were to get married and a baby was on the way, you could support her. Maybe you're nearly ready then, okay? What about girls? Again, you need to be able to hear God because many guys will say, God's told me I'm going to marry you. But if you haven't heard it, forget it. (laughs) Is there a peace in your heart? You know, even though everybody told me I couldn't marry Mike because he was a Catholic, I actually had a peace in my heart. God said, it's okay. He has a heart after me, and it's going to be okay. And then secondly, this is something you won't hear, get your father's approval. Now, this is, fr- this is strange, but our kids learned this. If your dad, whose God-given role is to protect you, doesn't think the person you're thinking of marrying is the right one, you'd better listen. I had a whole room for the woman once I was working with that all had broken marriages. I said, and how many of you married a guy that your father didn't approve of? And the whole lot of them had married a guy their father didn't approve of. You know, it's for your protection. And it should be normal in a church like this, if you're thinking of going into a committed relationship with someone, that at least your father or another leader in the church can feel right about it. You know, David and Kate, they even had a, didn't even have a date. But often parents see it in the spirit. Mike said to Kate one day, have you got anything going with my son? She just blushed. Mike said, I want you to know you've got my blessing. He saw it in the spirit before it even happened. Parents can do that. So young people, this is normal kingdom stuff. Because on your wedding day, it's your father that brings you up. 
and hands his authority over to your husband, and then he picks it up. So why wouldn't you ask him his opinion? Oh, this is, this is radical stuff, but we're going to have radical followers of Jesus. Radical followers of Jesus, a passion, a vision, a call, different from the world. Different from the world. Different from the world. Wow, I better just about finish. Generational blessing. Generational blessing. You know what? Again, Satan uses all the lies that God has put in place to multiply blessing. God's design is that blessings go from generation to generation to generation and intensify on the way and get stronger on the way. That's why God said to Timothy, now the same faith that was in Lois went to Eunice and went gone to you. You're a third generation because it's come down the generational line. Blessings should intensify. As I said, my father was a Christian and that affected me and affected David, it's affecting Georgia and it should get stronger and stronger as it goes down the generational line. This is God's design. He's wired it this way. But the enemy takes everything God's made and twists it. So he puts curses coming down family lines. But it's actually taken what God's designed and twists it like he does with everything. But generational blessing. Here's a good verse, Proverbs 13, 22. A good man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. Now that's different from the spend the kids' inheritance generation. You know, my dad paid for the university education of 18 grandchildren. You know, he laid up an inheritance for his children's children to help them get a leg up. In the, in the Chinese culture, we went to a dinner the other uh, with a whole lot of businessmen, and one lady I sat next to, her job is to meet with um, family businesses to train the children to handle the family wealth. And it's not the oldest one. It's the one that's got a gifting. And the whole family are trained to handle the family wealth. And it's usually used for education or for property. But it's managed, and it goes on from generation to generation. That's how these Chinese kids all get their education paid for. There's inheritance laid up for them. And they look after the old people. The old people are valued, looked after by their parents. If you buy a house in Singapore, if it's in the same block as your parents, it's cheaper because they want you to look after your parents. This is godly. This is godly. This is what godly kingdom looks like. I better finish, but um, I just want to make an order. There's no condemnation. You know, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. There's places, though, where we can come and, um, and put things right. You know, God wants, I wanted, I wanted to show you what a reformed Christian home could look like, a little bit like it could look like. But you can say, well, I've got some areas I need to start to grow in. There may be some here today that you've never actually made a marriage covenant. Don't be condemned. Come. There's an abundance of grace there's a gift of righteousness, and God's blessing will come on a union that hasn't been properly brought together by God. Come and get your lives aligned. Make decisions. Repent. Put your lives in order. And there's some that can't honor their parents. They're still bitter. They're still passing bitterness on like a curse from generation to generation because they haven't resolved their baggage. They haven't got rid of the stuff in their heart towards their parents. Now, there's no perfect family, but God says when your mum and dad don't come through for you, the Lord himself will take you up. He will be what they could never be to you. If they could never love you because they were wounded themselves, the Lord himself will fill that void. He has made provision. And in the house of God, he'll also provide people with skin on to help you. But you have to resolve your stuff. Let it go. Forgive from your heart, which may mean 
actually getting in touch with what you're feeling until you can properly let it go and release it and then honor them. Even if the, your father isn't living in the home, if your kids don't learn to honor their father that's not even in the home, it won't go well with them. That's what the Bible says. If you don't honor the father or the mother, it won't go well. So speak well about the person, even if he's not in the home, and teach them how to respect them. So it goes well for them. Okay, we better stop now. But anyway, I just thank you, Lord, that you are building a culture in this place that's radically different from the world. And Lord, you're teaching us how to build strong homes and to raise a generation of young people who are going to invade every area of society and make a difference. They're going to take the kingdom and power of God into society and begin to shift environments wherever they go. And now, Lord, I pray that anybody here today who has not yet made a decision to give their life to you, that today, Lord, they can lay a foundation stone. They can put Jesus at the center of their life and begin to build, build a life on God, begin to change their legacy, begin to change those that would follow them. They don't have to carry on being what they've experienced. They can set a new thing in place where the children and the grandchildren will walk in the life and power of God. I pray for anybody who hasn't made a commitment to lay a marriage covenant that you'd give them the courage to face this and to put down a new foundation stone in their lives. And for those that are still handling with baggage from their past that has not been resolved, that you'll lead them and teach them how to experience true forgiveness and release of um, spirits that would come to torment and, and carry on a legacy of cursing. Lord, we thank you that you're working with us. You help us to grow from strength to strength, glory to glory, and make a difference in this community. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Just as we sing this song, if you feel you'd like prayer today, you'd like to maybe give your heart to Jesus. Make this a day where you lay a new beginning. Just like my dad, he made a new beginning. And generations following, Read the blessing of that decision. Make a decision today. Come and stand over here. If you want to come and give your heart to Jesus today, change all the generations following. Just stand in front of Peter. If you've got areas in your marriage you feel you need to actually establish and lay a foundation stone, maybe of covenant, maybe of putting things right, come and do it. Just make a decision before God. God watches over these things and His blessing will come upon them. And if you're still dealing with baggage and you can't, haven't learned to honour because of stuff that's gone inside you, begin to face it. It's a journey that you can come through it out the other side in victory and break that cycle. Thank you, Jesus. We'll just sing and just respond if you'd like prayer today.
the word. Respond to the word at the time of hearing it. Don't hold back. Come and just stand before the Lord today and say, I'm ready to make changes. I'm ready to make changes. I'm going to build a legacy. I'm going to make my family different from the one I came out of. I'm going to establish a new family line that are godly and that are going to make a difference in the world. And I'm going to begin to nurture the entrustment you've given us. I'm going to watch over them. I'm going to guard them. I'm going to cultivate them. And I'm going to send them like arrows into the world, knowing who they're called to be and full of the power and anointing of God. Come, it's time, Bay City. Time to build strong families. Strong families, a new culture, a kingdom culture, a kingdom culture, a kingdom culture in our families. Thank you, Jesus. altar open for a few more minutes so if you need prayer the message that has come has spoken and ministered into your heart I want to encourage you don't be ashamed the power of God is here to set you free to restore you to heal you to deliver you to bring you from the place that you are into a transformed place so I want to encourage you just while we sing this song a few more times we've got people here that can come up and minister to you right now. If we can have our um, prayer ministers up, that'll be great. We have people up the front that need ministry. But for the rest of us, let's not switch off. Reach your hands out to the people who are getting prayed for and believe that God is not only going to touch them and restore them, that when they walk out these doors today, they are going to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords stepped out of heaven and into their hearts and that they will never be the same again.